Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And um, what what day is this? This is the 19th of October. When we're uh, recording, we're recording yeah. this show. So yeah. in full fall throws oh, over yeah. here in New but, England. Of course, you have the colors, right? We do. As a matter of fact, for the first time, I was able to rent a convertible oh. for the weekend of peak foliage and drive up to New Hampshire and Vermont, which is this coming Saturday. Nice. Tomorrow, actually. Yeah, you're going to really enjoy that. Of course, I live in... in the Pacific Northwest, so everything is still green because it's all evergreens. That's what yeah, evergreens that's right. means. But I do plan to take some good pictures, so maybe I'll share those with the yeah, listeners. That's a great one. Yeah, I love it. You can live vicariously through my camera lens. <laughs> anyway, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. All right, dude, what do you got? So just a little background here. I haven't really explained what this segment is in a while. Yeah. So it started out as just a, a peek into the .NET framework. Back when it seemed so big and confusing. and Right. What does that namespace do, all that? So right. We, you know, kind of blew through that stuff. And we got the title. Actually, I think you suggested it because of the Better Know a District segment yeah. on The Daily Show. Or Stephen Colbert, I think it was. Stephen yeah. Colbert. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so uh, we quickly blew through that, and then it just became, you know, hey, I found some cool app or some neat website or some tool or something. So yep. that's what it is. It's just a, you know, I just look around and see what people are using. For sure. And this is the number one app lock, you know, password manager in 50 countries. Hmm. And I believe it's for Android only, but I'm not sure. It's called AppLock. Okay. It's got 39 languages, 350 million users. It can lock Facebook, WhatsApp, Gallery, Messenger, Snapchat, Instagram, SMS, contacts, Gmail, settings, incoming calls, and any app you choose. And basically prevents unauthorized access, and it guards privacy and ensures security. So it can hide pictures, videos, and so they go away from your gallery, only visible in the photo and video vault. Um, no pin. Interesting. Has random keyboard and invisible pattern lock. So it's a, it's pretty cool. So it's a way that you can protect if you lose your phone. You know, you can protect it so nobody's going to get in. Rather than just lock the whole phone and that's your, that's your one line, it's now right. into individual apps. Yep. It's clever. It's very clever. Cool. And apparently very popular. Apparently, so yeah. I haven't installed it yet, but I plan to. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yep. App lock. Cool. Don't learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab your comment off of show 1523, which we did back in February of 2018 with Rob Richardson talking a bit about Docker and containers. Certainly relevant for our conversation today, especially this particular comment comes from Charles, who says, one thing I'm struggling to get my head around with Windows containers is the requirement for the OS of the container to exactly match the version of the OS of the host system. Mm -hmm. That's all well and good while the program is being actively developed. However, anyone who stepped foot in a large company has witnessed a graveyard of business-critical legacy applications for which all developers have moved on, sometimes where the source code has been lost, and so on. When all these shiny Windows 2016 containers become legacy applications, what will happen? Will we have to preserve ancient versions of server 2016 hosts frozen in time with no patches to preserve compatibility with the containers? Is that going to end well? <laughs> you know, the it's an interesting thought, of course, because we just haven't done this long enough to really have a sense of what that's like. And 
you know, Microsoft continues to patch older versions of Windows for a long time. So maybe you don't upgrade, but it's, you know, they're going to maintain security at least for some period of time. But the whole point of containers and that sort of configuration as code mindset is you should be able to move them up. That it's not that big of a deal to move from one version to the next, certainly to get some testing done and to have a sense of where things are at. I'm not going to say that code still doesn't become a legacy because it certainly does. If it's not buildable, if it's not testable, it's legacy. But I think the infrastructure is not going to be your problem. And the containers actually address that fairly well. But right. uh, we could talk about that further in the end of the show. Sure. So, Charles, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or over on Facebook because we publish every show over there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We won't tell a soul. <laughs> Promise. Okay. I don't know what that Let's, means. Let's... Uh, introduce our guest today, Luke Hoban, and he is a CTO at Pulumi and previously worked at AWS on EC2 and at Microsoft on C-sharp, F-sharp, VS Code, and TypeScript. And Pulumi was um, a, was a better know a framework uh, thing that I called out a while ago, yeah. month, or, month or two ago. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was just so cool, and the guys in AppVNext thought it was so cool, we thought it deserved a little shout-out. And I'm glad that we get to talk to you, Luke, about uh, a little more in-depth about Pulumi. So, welcome. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, elevator pitch. What is this thing? All right, yeah. So, uh, Pulumi is a, is a new programming model and development platform for the cloud. Um, so, you can sort of think of it as like uh, something like the .NET framework, but for infrastructure. Uh, hmm, so, yeah. it lets you use... Real programming languages, um, JavaScript, TypeScript, Python, Go, and we're adding more uh, as we go. Uh, but to use those real languages to describe uh, your cloud infrastructure and to manage that and deploy uh, deploy applications and infrastructure uh, to the cloud. Infrastructure as code. Yeah, we actually like to think of it as uh, infrastructure as software, sort of the next phase of that. Now, I think yeah. infrastructure as code has come to mean infrastructure as text, not really code. Right, um, uh, right. Infrastructure as code is really about the, back, the ability to version control it, which is really a property of code, not of, of text, not of code. Right. And with, with Pulumi, we're really trying to bring in the other things that are great about code, the ability to have variables and for loops and classes and components and packages and refactoring and rich tooling inside your IDE. Right. All these things that application developers love about code and about software, um, but that really haven't been available in a first-class way for, for infrastructure. Interesting. It's brilliant. So actually intelligence in that, because you're right, most, when you talk about infrastructure as code, or we were just talking about in that comment on the show, it's, it's literally just do this, then this, and this, and this, and this, it's just straight imperative declares, not yeah. any thinking of any kind. Right. You can do retries and you can do exception handling and logic and everything you can do in code plus your infrastructure. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing once you kind of bring some of those tools about um, the ability to create abstractions, to write new functions and new classes and things. Uh, when you bring those into any environment, I think people uh, start, start behaving very differently in the way that they think about what they can do. Like when you went from writing assembly code to writing C and you had the ability to create named functions and compose them together, sure. suddenly you get like the C standard library exists. And right. everyone can build on top of that and move up the stack a bit and think a bit more abstractly about the domain. And I think our sense is that, you know, the cloud space um, is just growing so fast um, across all the cloud providers for for Azure, AWS, GCP, for everyone. Um, the, the rate of growth is enormous. 
and the complexity of apps being built is just growing uh, rapidly along with that. And so moving up an abstraction layer, not having to deal with all those little components um, all the time and being able to create sort of patterns and, and reuse those is something that is becoming a, a rapidly a, an important need for a lot of a lot of teams. So reusability wise, um, do, do you have classes that are tied to particular platforms, one for AWS, Azure, or GCP, or are those platform specific things defined as strings so that we can reuse our code across platforms? Yeah, so we, we kind of offer both. Uh, we have um, we have a layer that's sort of just the raw projections of the each of the clouds in, a, in as, as raw a way as possible so that you have access to 100% of the capabilities of every platform. Right. Um, and so, you know, we have AWS, we have Azure, we have GCP, we have Kubernetes, which is actually also really uh, important. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, we have OpenStack, we have uh, vSphere. Um, we're, we're adding more along that dimension as well. Uh, and those give you access to just all the capabilities of each of those uh, platforms. But then because you can build libraries, um, we also have this library called Pulumi Cloud, which is sort of a cloud agnostic uh, library that uh, you can use. And then you can just set a configuration variable to say, hey, I want to target, target AWS. Hey, I want to target Azure. Um, and it will take the same code you wrote, but then uh, implement it uh, in terms of the primitives that are available on each of those platforms. Right. And so one of the nice things about being able to move up and down that abstraction layer is you can sort of mix and match that that high level cross cloud compatible uh, API with a uh, with low level details of hey I want this one specific feature of Azure uh, as well. So cool. I totally get this for Kubernetes because there is a Kubernetes implementation pretty much everywhere, including on premises. Yeah. It's got to get harder as soon as you get into more granular stuff. Yeah, so there's, I think there's kind of two things. One, there's, there's a set of things like Kubernetes where, you know, hey, there's managed Kubernetes in every cloud now. And right. hey, there's managed MySQL in every cloud now. There's managed, uh, you know, um, Redis in every cloud, those, those sorts of things. And so we can make those available as building block components that, you know, you don't have to, um, you know, if you're doing Kubernetes, for example, you don't have to run MySQL inside your Kubernetes cluster and risk managing the statefulness of that. You can use the managed offering in each cloud provider um, to, to take advantage of all the, the benefits you get from the managed service. Right. Um, but you can do it using a single API from Pulumi. Um, but then there's other things where, where the platforms are a bit more divergent, but they have primitives that allow common patterns to be deployed. So like yeah. serverless uh, you know, functions as a service mm-hmm. is pretty different on each of the platforms. They're yeah. not the same API. It's not based on an open standard, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but with Pulumi, we can sort of provide a, you know, some people call it the lowest common denominator thing, but that we think of it more as a as a cross cloud abstraction that um, that really works across all of these. Yeah. And so it's sort of a new abstraction you can program to, but which can be faithfully implemented on each of the clouds. Um, it doesn't have all the richness of any one of the clouds, but but does have uh, it does have a surprising amount of capability. So I've programmed on all three platforms, and I found uh, the documentation in, in Azure to be superior in terms of examples that just work and aren't partial examples and uh, also just you know concepts and explaining them i found um aws to be very robust but difficult to uh figure out and the google cloud platform as well i'm it, it it's re- the the documentation is better but um just sort of putting all the pieces together from the snippets of code that you see on their website was 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 a kind of a learning curve. So I really appreciate the fact that I can just learn one API, you know, and pretty much cover, cover the bases for the basic stuff. And then if I really want to dive in, how is the translation between uh, the Pulumi APIs 
and you know the the documentation that exists on all these cloud platforms for their particular implementations is that going to be a challenge or do you guys have some sort of guidance for that yeah, so I mean, because the this lowest layer that just sort of projects the raw um, APIs, it, it is just a projection of their their own APIs, and so it's very one to one. You know, every property, every um, every resource type uh, is going to be kind of a one to one mapping. Uh, you know, sometimes the the structure of those will have to be a slightly different, just because um, uh, of something about the way that they designed the API. But but in general, it's a very one to one thing. If you find some API you want to use in the Azure documentation. You're going to find it in the sort of the same with the same names in the same place uh, inside the Pulumi API, um, and so we've generally found that to be a very easy thing. Um, if folks are porting over something they've written in ARM over to Pulumi, it's typically a very, uh, a very easy process uh, to do that. That's cool. Do you see this primarily as an advantage for folks who want to run on multiple clouds that that they're they're hedging their bets of Azure versus AWS? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I think early on we thought that was going to be the, you know, the case. When we talk to, to, to companies, you know, a lot of people are really uh, very much thinking about that. How do we, how do we hedge, uh, you know, our cloud bets across the different cloud providers? In practice, I've actually seen, you know, um, although that's a reason people are interested and want to, want to, want to look at something like Pulumi. In practice, they actually end up typically using Pulumi and really benefiting from it, even when they're just in a single cloud and, mm-hmm. and for the foreseeable future will be in a single cloud. Uh, because it helps them to treat the way that they think about their cloud infrastructure more robustly and, and more like software that there's a really critical component and they can reliably refactor because there's type checking that they can uh, go to definition and see, you know, where things are defined, that they can uh, build these reusable components and share them across a large team, uh, that sort of thing. So so I think a lot of the benefits actually and, and the, the practical things that we've seen uh, customers doing so far really are, are primarily actually just targeting a single cloud. But I think folks like the the fact that they have a path to supporting multiple clouds uh, with Pulumi. I could certainly envision, because I've, se- I've gone through this process, especially with containers, where you tinker and tune with a particular website or a particular app with a set of containers that scale nicely. Mm. And then you go to move that to another app. So you basically cut and paste all those config files to a different app. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up with its own customizations. And you're just sort of repeating the problem over and over again with each site that you build. So the idea that I could have, you know, heaven help you that after you've got six of those, you find out you've made a mistake way back on the first one. And now you've <laughs> got to go through all of them and try and fix that mistake. Yeah. I, for example, I'm looking right now at a um, an example on your website to connect containers, uh, a Redis data store and a Python Flask app. And just very easy to, you know, get those references and just interconnect them. Yeah. Using code. So brilliant. Yeah. I think, you know, to, to the case you just mentioned, uh, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that that copy paste kind of feeling that I think a lot of infrastructures code solutions, folks uh, feel very comfortable just copy pasting and, and, and uh, creating kind of a lot of a lot of that debt. Um, and when you're thinking about application development, you sort of you tend not to do that nearly as much, right? right. When, you, when you do that, you feel bad about yourself and you're like, oh, I'm going to you know, create a reusable component here and I'm going to share it between these things so that I don't have create this debt. Uh, and for some reason, we, we, tip, we haven't sort of gotten to the level of maturity as an industry to treat our infrastructure in that same way that, you know, we don't want to leave behind that debt, that we want to build those reusable components. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's sort of time to, time to move uh, infrastructure development into that uh, level of maturity. Well, I'm finding I'm just getting IT guys thinking source control is a good idea. 
Sure. So, <laughs> so the yeah. idea yeah. that they would now start to think there is debt in the way you've organized this code that you're checking in, because they're always the guys who've been that have had to fight the debt that the developers created, right? So the fact that yeah. they're mm -hmm. now making debt for themselves, I think that's a really powerful concept to go. Every time yeah. you cut and paste from a previous project, you're making debt. Yeah. <laughs> No, and it's, you know, I think it's a real opportunity. I mean, I think it's, it's also, you know, in the past, um, the, you know, a lot of the infrastructure has been more coarse grained and is versioned at a, a slower pace, maybe, sure. um, you know, you spin up a VM only so often and you, you have to make changes to this only so often. I think with the, with the very granular managed services that are now becoming available from the cloud providers, sort of a lot of modern application architectures are getting, uh, the infrastructure is sort of becoming more intertwined with the applications and uh, and with how they version, and that's that's just creating a lot more complexity in the sort of infrastructure. Well, the, the the set of stuff that people think about as infrastructure uh, is is now including more of the things that they might have previously thought about as as application code almost. When you also get a sense that the the cloud vendors, and I'm thinking Microsoft specifically, want to retire old versions of services too. You know, we're getting lots of messages already in these early days of public cloud where they're going, hey, you remember this thing that we we just baited and never really went GA with and made this other thing instead? We're going to turn that beta off. So if you're still using it, you better get off of it. So, the, you know, get back to that debt concept. Oh, crap. We've got a dozen sites that depend on that thing. Yeah. If it was built as a class, it's one thing to change. Yep. If it was built as copy pasted scripts, it's a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good uh, point. The, you know, the cloud space is moving very quickly. And so there is a lot of churn, you know, both uh, services that are getting kind of deprecated over time, but also just new services coming out that, that are better uh, and that are, that are kind of replacing the need for, for older services. And so it is true that, that, you know, when you have a lot of copies of some infrastructure, you're, you're wanting to, to take advantage of these new things, to update things, to, to move away from deprecated services. Uh, and, and this space is moving quickly. And so I think it is really important to be able to move fast um, along with it. And, and that uh, you benefit a lot when you can make those changes in a single place and roll them then out, um, you know, the same way that for application software, if we can build reusable libraries, package those and deliver them as DLLs, and then consumers can just pick them up uh, and version them into their uh, applications instead of having to make uh, independent code changes, uh, it sort of distributes that responsibility in a much more natural way and, uh, and allows for, for a much better way to to kind of move quickly, uh, but also reliably. You could also, I could imagine that you would end up with a group of enterprise cloud configuration specialists, like guys, you know, they've done all the testing. This is the performant way for these problems. And so you're sort of putting out standards for a bunch of different teams that want to use the cloud. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we, we've seen that starting to happen both at the sort of open source layer of kind of people publishing open source, uh, um, uh, packages that that are Pulumi packages that describe sort of patterns that they found useful, um, and that, that might generally be useful to a lot of different organizations, and and then also within an organization, uh, just patterns that are specific to that organization's needs, um, but that uh, but that can be stamped out across multiple parts of the organization. And like you said, that that the the cloud architecture specialists within a given organization might specify those patterns um, and best practices as components and as packages which then other groups within the organization can pick up and use without having to go and redo all that learning about the, the services. 
You know, I've seen this in PowerShell. Again, I'm putting a little bit of my IT hat on where we're getting to a place now where there's some sort of PowerShell scripts available for download that are like the de facto standard. If you're going to do modifications to AD, you start with this script that's in this common repository. Like, I wonder if we're going to mm-hmm. get there where there's like, this is clearly the right way for building mm-hmm. a scalable website or scalable testable service. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think, uh, in my, my opinion, we definitely are, uh, going that direction and, and there's more and more, uh, desire for that. Uh, I think, you know, you see just the, there's some boilerplate things like, you know, if you're doing AWS or Azure, just setting up a, setting up your networking environment, you know, it's very, there's, there's common practices that are, you know, 90% of kind of virtual networks are configured in some very specific ways. Um, and only a few real pieces of configuration, much less than what is available on the underlying, uh, primitives. And so, you know, having reusable components for standing up a virtual network or standing up a basic, you know, uh, you know, basic web server plus uh, database plus caching layer. I'm going immediately into as a guy who's been dabbling in SDN. It's like right now we generally set up our networks where all ports, all channels in a subnet, everything commute. And we're already talking about, can I lock this all the way down where it's only these specific machines at these URIs with these specific ports for communicating on, and that's it. And the average network person looks and goes, I don't know how I'm going to do that. The the (laughs) fact that you could even propose, hey, here's a script, right? Here's a class that locks this down for you. You just set these flags and everything is turned off except the things you specified. That's pretty profound. Like that's an area we haven't solved yet. You're talking about a solution that would take that problem away. Yeah. Well, guys, hold that thought for just a minute while we pause for this very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers for some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core 3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code Rocks to get a discount. All right, and we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell, and that's Luke Hoban, and we're talking about Pulumi, and we're talking about infrastructure, software, code, PowerShell, you name it, we're talking about it. An easier way to manage your infrastructure with a language that you're already comfortable with. Um, We've been talking about the obvious benefits of uh, using code, but some of these might not be so obvious because just a moment's thought, it's kind of, oh, I get it. Wow, I'm in code. I have access to all these APIs through a layer of abstraction. Wow. But maybe there's some not so obvious benefits. Yeah, no, so I think, you know, uh, we've really... I've really focused so far on kind of talking about the programming model and, and the framework and that sort of thing, um, which is which is what you know users you know, initially kind of look at and see, and that that's that's a lot of the value there. But but Pulumi is actually also sort of a deployment engine, so it, it's a way of driving deployments and, and reliably doing deployments um, based on these these programs written against these frameworks. And uh, and there's there's a number of really important things about that. I mean, the first is that it still is sort of a desired state system, uh, so your program. Uh, you know, computes the desired state effectively. And then Pulumi makes sure it drives uh, the, the different cloud providers to that desired state. So if you are saying you want a resource to exist, it will make sure that that exists with that configuration that you specified. Yeah. Um, or update it to have the new configuration if necessary, if it, if it already is there. 
Um, and so that that ability to still have a desired state kind of model, um, but use code is really that's sort of where some of the uniqueness uh, comes in there. And then I think the other part is um, Plumi, as well as being kind of a CLI and a tool to, to drive these deployments, uh, also has a, a service backend. So um, at app.plumi.com, you can go and sort of see, uh, manage all of your deployments uh, across different clouds. So um, you can dive into the resources that are in Azure, dive into resources in Kubernetes, dive into resources in AWS, um, and you can manage all of those from a single portal and get auditing of the history of the, of the deployment. So you can get RBAC and you can access and, and manage uh, different resources. And so there's a whole sort of management layer that Pulumi offers sort of on top of that through the, the, um, the console. I'd like to dive into the Kubernetes support. Uh, that's a very popular platform. And I'm sure everybody wants us to ask that question. What do you do in Kubernetes land? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so we launched our uh, kind of our public uh, you know product back in June or so, and it, it really focused initially on AWS, Azure, and GCP, and um, and then just a couple months ago we we launched uh, sort of first class support for Kubernetes as well, and uh, and that we've seen since we launched that just a huge pickup of that that Kubernetes support and of Pulumi in general, and I think there's a couple of things there. One. Uh, Pulubi gives you access to, again, the, the full uh, breadth of, of the Kubernetes API. So, uh, you know, Kubernetes has a bunch of different resources, just like the cloud providers do. Um, and and Pulumi gives you full fidelity access to everything that's in, in Kubernetes. One of the really interesting things, though, is the ability to, to then combine managing Kubernetes with managing cloud, uh, because a lot of folks are doing both Kubernetes, but also some cloud stuff. So they're using, you know, S3 or Azure Blob Storage, but they're uh, running their compute within a Kubernetes cluster. Yeah. And so the ability to sort of uh, deploy both of these together with a single API uh, and to just create your bucket and then reference it from within, you know, pass it in as an environment variable to one of your containers in Kubernetes. This kind of thing is really pretty powerful. And it, it really, there's not many other ways you can use a single API to work with both cloud and Kubernetes together. And mm -hmm. so we've seen a lot of interest in, in that. Yeah, it does seem like Kubernetes lives in its own world where you got to kind of dive into that orchestration side and, and commit to it all by itself. Do you, are you looking at alternate, the alternatives like the, the Mesosphere, DCOS, uh, maybe even Service Fabric? Or do you think Kubernetes is the only one you care about? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in the limit, we, you know, we, we can support and will support kind of all the different cloud platforms that um, that uh, folks might want to target. And we have a provider model, so it's really easy to plug new new platforms in. Um, Kubernetes, obviously, there's there's a ton of demand right now. And so we kind of did that um, right. on the earlier side. But but as I mentioned earlier, we, we do have OpenStack support. Um, uh, you know, we have VMware, vSphere support, which is sort of a layer beneath all of this. But right. uh um, but it's also something that we've seen uh, a lot of folks uh, interested in. But no, I think definitely uh, Mesosphere, Service Fabric, these are things that we would certainly expect to support um, uh, you know, as we see demand for those increase. And Yeah, when, when the demand appears. You, you're talking yeah. about this is a cloud product, but is you specifically public cloud or is it more cloud as architecture? Like th there seems to be good implementations here for on-premises work too. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I use the word cloud, but that is a fairly, you know, uh, abstract word, I think, uh, here. It, sure. Really, it just means managing, uh, you know, uh, managing sort of managed services, uh, things that are defined in some uh, in some other platform somewhere uh, and that you want to drive into a desired state. And so uh, and so that could be, you know, uh, vSphere or Windows Server. It could be uh, AWS or Azure. It could be Kubernetes. Um, uh, it could be a variety of different things. 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I, and I've, I've been doing that qualifier, that sort of cloud as product versus cloud as architecture. Yeah. Because they are, I mean, very different things and implementable in more ways. One of the things I like about Kubernetes is that you could easily run that on-premises. It works just fine. Yeah, no, and I think definitely our support for Kubernetes, you know, I talked about how one of the great things is you can combine it with cloud. But one of the other great things is that there's tons of people running Kubernetes that aren't on public cloud. And, yeah. uh, and so Plumi, Plumi, they can use to, to manage their Kubernetes deployments, even when they're on-prem uh, in an open shift cluster, whatever it is that they're, wherever it is that they're running, um, uh, wherever it is they're running Kubernetes. So programming wise, and I'm just looking at the samples here, it's very, is it JavaScripty primarily? Yeah, so we actually the, the programming model fundamentally is can be multi language, and so uh, we started with support for JavaScript and TypeScript, uh, Python and Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, we actually had a, a community open source contribution uh, a couple weeks ago to start work on the .NET support. Uh, so that's something we expect to land uh, soon as well. But but in principle, over time, it'll be kind of an, uh, any languages that, that folks want to plug into the system. We have a pluggable model there as well. Nice. Um, but certainly to date, uh, I think our focus has been primarily, and a lot of the usage primarily, has been the JavaScript TypeScript side. Uh, and so that's where a lot of the examples you'll see uh, today are. Um, and that's, you know, for a bunch of reasons. JavaScript is, you know, just a language that, you know, for better or worse, a lot of people are familiar with uh, with JavaScript. And it, uh, it's something that a lot of people can get up and running with uh, reasonably quickly. It's a very flexible uh, language in a number of dimensions. Um, and then because uh TypeScript exists. Uh, you can you can optionally get all the benefits of typing and IDE tooling and that sort of thing as well uh, by working in that environment. So we found that to be a, a good first place to start. But but over time, we'll we'll definitely support a, a wide variety of languages as front ends to this. And there are libraries that you added for TypeScript to to make it work better in Dev Tools for this. You've done that support. We actually didn't have to add anything. Uh, I mean, we 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 published some some packages, right. you know, some npm packages uh, that have, have TypeScript typings in them, and so that the dev tools tend to pick that up and, and provide a good experience. But it's one of the great things about just building on top of uh, on top of TypeScript and real languages instead of creating our own, you know, uh, DSL or markup language, whatever, is that you kind of get all the tooling for free because right. it's just it's, it's just, just the TypeScript there. and JavaScript tooling. So the VS Code experience for working with with uh, Lumi is is amazing. Uh, you know. Uh, the Visual Studio experience is great. Um, you know, any IDE you come up to, you're going to have a good experience basically with Pulumi because uh, you, you get to benefit from the tooling that IDE has for JavaScript and TypeScript. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to try to make cloud infrastructure code funny without resorting to worn out cliches like I'm coding with my head in the cloud or this <laughs> script was generated by a tool. <laughs> nope, not this time. You got any suggestions? These are all my favorites, though. <laughs> I got nothing. How, how do you make this stuff? Up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's just give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, 
you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Martin Van de Vettering. Oh, congratulations, Martin. I'll clap for you. Yeah. Martin won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to join, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up if you want to win. And Luke, it's your turn. We like to ask our guests if you had $5,000 to spend on technology of any kind right now, what would you buy? I don't know. Just uh, a really nice computer. I think uh, a really nice laptop. I don't know if I'd use up my $5,000. Uh, <laughs> Boring. Boring. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, know. I, I spend enough of my time sitting in front of this thing that uh, you yeah. know, that's, that's the first place to invest. Right? Yeah. Funnily enough, most of the people who have won have bought themselves a new rig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be the norm. And look, yeah. a, a MacBook Pro will burn through your five grand, and you'll be wanting for more. It all depends on how much memory you put in it, right? It'll it'll eat it. Yeah, up, that's no true. question. Yeah. But you know, I would argue, and we've talked about this on other shows. It's like, hey, if you've got a machine you're happy with, especially a laptop, it's like add a better chair, a better keyboard, a bigger display, like yeah. all of that sort of thing. That those are all productivity increases from there. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Get some eye tracking stuff going on. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> hey, I, I pulled up GitHub to look at the project briefly. And of course, I always look at the contributor list. And there's Joe Duffy. There. Yeah. You have quite the roster of talent in this company that all seem to come from a common background. Yeah, no. So, so Joe Duffy is uh, is our uh, CEO, um, uh, and uh, started the company um, with uh, with Eric Rudder, who you guys also may be familiar. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. From uh, times of Microsoft, so Microsoft exec. Yeah. Uh, so, so Joe and Eric um, uh, were the founders, and I, I joined them uh, when we started the company. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then we've you know there's we've got a few other folks who have uh, you know spent time in DevTools, a few other folks who have spent time working on. Cloud platforms uh, at Google, at Amazon, at, at Microsoft. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've got a, a really good team uh, working on this. No kidding, yeah. Joe Duffy was one of the first guests that we had talking about concurrency. Right, yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, just one of those wildly smart dev types, like thinks about the problem a different way. And I, and I really appreciate this product has that error about it. But it's got to be challenging with that much Microsoft angle to not just focus mm -hmm. on Azure because there's more clouds out there than that. There absolutely are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I had worked at, at AWS before coming to Pulumi and we've got a couple of folks who had worked on Google Cloud. And so, so we've got sort of some of the, uh, some of the perspective of those other clouds. And then, of course, we go where, where customers and users are, are, are taking us. And a lot of them are, are spread across the different cloud platforms today. So let's talk about Azure. How yeah. does Pulumi work with .NET in Azure? Yeah, no, so I think, I mean, Pulumi, uh, obviously Pulumi works great with Azure, exposes everything that, that's available there. Um, you know, we're continuing to invest in not just the, the bottom layer of the raw stuff, but making some of these common patterns on top of that easier. Mm -hmm. In particular, making, doing some of the sort of, um, simple serverless scenarios and container-based scenarios, uh, even simpler than just managing that manually. Yeah. Um, we've done a little bit of that on AWS. We're working on some of that right now on, on Azure as well. Um, 
So yeah, so I think Azure, you know, we have a lot of users. Um, we have, you know, uh, some some big uh, uh, corporate customers who are, are working on on Azure plus Kubernetes who are um, uh, really enjoying using Pulumi right now. So uh, I'd say it's like that's been a big part of our um, of our user base has been has been on Azure. Uh, in terms of .NET, uh, you know, I think we. Uh, you know, I just mentioned earlier that we're going to have support for kind of .NET as a, as a front-end language for authoring. Um, nice. But generally, generally, that's not actually as important as as having a great story for taking your existing applications written in .NET, because that's really what you care about most is, you know, you've got .NET applications. Right. And how do I then go and deploy deploy those um, out and manage the deployment of those? And so we, we have great support for that, obviously, you know, both via containerized solutions. Uh, we have several customers uh, who are... Um, deploying Dockerized uh, .NET apps today um, and, and using Pulumi to manage those deployments, um, uh, as well as you know using serverless solutions and so using .NET inside AWS Lambda or inside uh, um, inside Azure Functions. And so we've got customers doing all of those things. Well, I wonder if this is where one of the biggest wins are because I'm still struggling with great ways to manage serverless implementations in terms of source and organization and, and, and that sort of thing. Can you sort of dig into that, what Pulumi will help me with from the serverless perspective? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, we, we support the kind of uh, existing bare bones thing that sort of is the, is the standard pattern for, um, for the cloud providers themselves. It's just, hey, give us a zip file and we'll deploy it up and manage it. And so then it becomes the developer's problem to kind of figure out how to get their source code, zip it up, deploy it out, all right. those kind of steps. But um, but we all also kind of have support for. There's a lot of use cases we've seen for serverless that aren't aren't like I'm going to move my application architecture over to you know be serverless. What I'm going to do instead is I've got my infrastructure and I just want these little pieces of glue to exist inside my my infrastructure. Right. I want to make it so that whenever something happens over on this piece of infrastructure, I put it on a on a topic that then I can go and you know uh, invent off of uh, for other systems. And so a lot of that stuff is the serverless components are very small pieces of code that are just little glue uh, in my infrastructure. And people really want to version them with their infrastructure, not with their application code. Right. Uh, and so we we make it really easy to do that where because you're using a real programming language, because you're using JavaScript or something to write your infrastructure, you can also just write those little event handlers in line in code. Uh, and it's just one file that looks, you know, exactly like you'd expect. It's sort of lambdas are really lambdas, right? They're, they're little callbacks. Yeah. Um, and we take care of turning that into a, um, turning it into a source file, putting in a zip file, uploading it to lambda, hooking up as an event handler, the stuff that's, you know, a page or two of, of ARM or cloud formation, uh, stuff to, to create. We can do that in sort of one line of, of Pulumi code and make it really, really easy. Um, and so that, that's a really significant benefit as well of, of using code uh, for describing infrastructure. Yeah, I could see us quickly building a class that wraps any serverless call and sort of deals with security requirements, deals with its networking requirements, deals with its callback hookups, like all of those little bits and pieces in a standard format. And now you're just like, this is the blob of yeah. code. This is where it lives. Sure. Yeah. And so we, we know we have the ability, obviously, for anyone to go and build their own kind of wrappers for that stuff that have their own requirements. Mm -hmm. But then we also provide sort of in the box some really simple uh examples just like that um that, that make that kind of thing right really easy out of the box and to configure as as you want uh, for your own needs we were just talking about durable functions last week and uh you know it must be uh, because that's relatively new it must be um, a fun challenge just sort of keeping up with whatever these guys throw in their you know in their soup and yeah. you have to wrap it 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's one part of that which is exposing that. We, you know, we we tend to use mostly automated processes to to you know pick up the latest things that are coming from the the cloud providers, and so <laughs> we don't have cool. to we don't have to do a ton of manual work to keep up with them. So so we generally you know we're generally not more than a week behind where where the cloud platforms are. But I'd say, yeah, you know, the, the great thing is, you know, we love it when the cloud providers are going and adding new capabilities because that's just more and more stuff that makes Pulumi great, right? It makes the, that's the right. um, more things you can do with Pulumi and that you can, these managed services that the cloud providers are building are so valuable uh, in terms of reducing the operational burden that the teams have to take on themselves. Uh, and yeah. the real impediment to using them today is actually just, uh, it's hard. It's hard to sort of... Um, do all of this cloud formation or ARM stuff to get them stood up to, to understand the APIs. And so to the extent that we can make that really easy, it actually lets people more quickly take advantage of the benefits of these, these cloud providers. Um, and so we, we hope that that's a, a pattern that, that we can enable for organizations that, that becomes easier to use this stuff. I imagine the cloud providers love it because you're just making it easier for people to use their stuff. But then again, you're making it easier for them for, to use the, your, their competitor's stuff too. <laughs> Any pushback? There's certainly no pushback. No, we're, we're you know, we're a partner, uh, you know, a registered partner kind of with, with all the cloud providers right now and um, do a bunch of activities and things along with them. Um, a lot of points of being able to help out, you know, if we go to the one of the service teams at AWS and talk to them and about how we can make it really easy to to use, you know, uh, EKS came out recently, the the um, the Elastic Container Kubernetes service, um, the, the managed mm. Kubernetes service on, on AWS. And and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good service, but the getting started for it is, is fairly complicated. Getting from nothing to a to a fully working managed Kubernetes cluster um, on EKS yeah. is, is a bit of work. You know, it's, it's I think it was 20 or 30 pages of documentation you had to go through to, to kind of do it. And uh, and we were able to make that, you know, a library, which was new EKS.cluster. Uh, and the one line, uh, you stand the whole thing up and, and that makes, that makes their story better, right? It makes it easier yeah. for folks to come and use that service and, and get out of the box working. Um, and so, so we have a blog post that we've got on their blog, uh, about how to do that. Um, and so, so I think that really does make it better for the cloud providers. They can, you know, take their services, which are great fundamental building blocks and they can make it much easier for folks to come up and use them. Uh, and you know, that's yeah. something that they value, but then for us, uh, you know, that's not something we're trying to do just for AWS or just for Azure. We're trying to bring those benefits to, to any any cloud. Yeah, I so would, awesome. I would hope that the product teams get smart enough to start calling you guys when they're getting ready to roll something out to say, hey, take a look at this. Make sure we've got some Pulumi support for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we, 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 we hope we're going to get there uh, in, the, in, the, in the pretty near term. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's also a great way to open a conversation when you're, you know, you're sitting and having lunch with your developer friends and they say, you know, I'm about to dive into AWS, but I don't know anything about it. <laughs> or Google Cloud, I don't know anything, you know, hey, get yourself some Pulumi. Right. No, it's a, yeah. it's a great, easy way to get started with, with any of the cloud platforms. Yep. So, what's next? What's, uh, what's on your to-do list, man? Yeah, so I, mean, I think we're, you know, right now we're just trying to kind of grow with with our users. And so it's, you know, uh, um, a lot of it is just taking the core things I just talked about, both the projections of the existing uh, providers and expanding that out to more more platforms and more scenarios on the existing platforms, as well as really doubling down on some of the multi-cloud stuff. We have some basic building blocks for that, but, uh, but we're going to be doing a lot more on, on supporting multi-cloud abstractions in the future. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they're really just, uh, you know, supporting bigger customers who are coming on and, and using Pulumi and trying to do more complex things and uh, really making sure that, that the, the tools and the, the technology can scale up to some really large applications. Um, so, 
yeah. Wow. I can envision awesome. you starting to build classes where it's like, I, I need this storage service. And depending on what cloud you're on, it's like, oh, I can use a PaaS piece for that storage behavior. Or here I set up this container or this VM or this hosting environment and absorb it that way. Just to give you that flexibility across all these different possibilities. Because the more stuff you could drive to PaaS, I think the better off people are. But often we end up with IaaS implementations. This is what we know. And maybe the, this is the kind of tooling that would make that go away. You'd get less and less owning the VMs and even the containers and more and more straight paths implementations. Yeah, I think it's one of the great things about being able to kind of define your own abstractions that fit your use cases. Then they don't have to bleed through the implementation details necessarily. And mm-hmm. so you can think about it at that higher level at that more PaaS-like level. And where there is a PaaS that meets your requirements, you can use that. Where there's not, you have to sort of make that work on a on a lower level IaaS or container based solution. Um, and so, I think uh, you know we we think all of these are going to be important, and, and people are going to be using a mix of these. Uh, but certainly, to the extent you can you can think about your workloads at the level of abstraction that makes sense for you, right. instead of having to fit it into the framework of one of these things, we think that's a big big opportunity for frameworks and libraries and packages uh, in Pulumi. Absolutely. So how does one get started? Yes, you can go to um, Pulumi.io is the project page. Uh, It has a big getting started button there right on the front page. Download the the CLI um, and uh, and, uh, there's a nice wizard for kind of creating your first new project in there. And so you can pick your your language and pick your cloud platform and, and be started in just a minute or two. Um, uh, it's available for for all OSs and uh, uh, you, you know uh, if you if you jump in there you should have something running on your on your favorite cloud platform in just a couple minutes. Is it Pulumi.io or Pulumi.com? We have both. Pulumi.com is sort of the the kind of marketing site has a lot of the higher level uh, stuff. Pulumi.io is the project site with the docs and and kind of all of the, um, okay. the open source uh, material. So so for really for getting started, uh, Pulumi.io is a great place to just go and one click and you're and you're, and you're there. Awesome. And we have gone this entire time without spelling it because you know these words are weird, right? P U L U M I. That's go right. Get yeah. it. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks a lot. It's been great talking to you. Likewise, yeah, thanks a lot. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a